newsflash, people, new information coming out of the Uinta Basin and Skinwalker Ranch area. So a listener told us that it was the evening hours and he was home and he lives 10 miles from Skinwalker Ranch. And it was late enough in the evening that this should not have been happening. But he was hearing his sister's voice outside his window. And after several minutes, he thought, what is she doing outside? She should be in bed. What is going on? So he got closer to the window. And as he got closer to the window, he heard a growl. And then everything stopped. So he shut his window and he's like, okay, done. So he thought it was a skinwalker. I concur. I think that's a skinwalker. But that's not just it. A couple weeks later, his parents were outside in the evening hours, kind of like the twilight where you can still see, but everything's shadowy. They saw a shadow that wasn't quite the figure of anything they could identify. And it was making noises, but different noises. Every time it would make a noise, it was like a different sound. Like it's testing to see which one works. Yes, So they could not identify this creature. The dad was so upset by this that he actually got a shotgun and started walking around their property to make sure there wasn't anything nefarious or a creature that was going to attack their cows or their chickens. So, people, mystery continues out there by Skinwalker Ranch. There's your update. This is episode eight of Steeped in Mystery. (laughs) Welcome. I'm Amanda, and our beautiful newscaster is Jenna. Hello. So, while we're doing TV stuff, man, we've got some TV stuff for you today. So, we've got some an interesting topic for today, but the, the tea of choice for this topic is a black currant black tea. And I think it's... Well, I chose this because our topic today is a little dark. A little, little on the darkish black side. Yeah... Well, I mean, darker side seems to fit with the fall setting in and that horror vibe going through everyone's bones. (laughs) Getting closer to All Hallows' Eve. Oh, yes. So this episode today, we're going to be talking about, I put unexplained events, hauntings on film sets. Yeah, I was just saying haunted film sets. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Unexplained hauntings. Yeah, it kind of goes hand in hand. What about cursed? Agreed. That's a good. That's a good word. That's a good word for these today too. Yeah. So they're they're pretty spooky and mysterious. I have. I think I'm going to start us off today with a 1982 classic, Poltergeist. Nice. Yes. Nice. Okay. So Poltergeist. Let's be clear. It has an 87 on Rotten Tomatoes. This is a good movie. This is a classic horror movie. Hate those clowns. But <laughs> Tell you. you're gonna hate him more after today. I think so. Okay. I think that's a possibility. Okay. So while it's while this movie is well known for its uh, chilling visuals and special effects, it's also well known for being the center of one of Hollywood's biggest conspiracies slash alleged curses. Ooh. And the movie is based on a true story. I have heard that once or twice. Yeah, so I thought I'd give us a little bit of background on the story it's based on. Just, you know, add a little bit of depth. Fill us in. All right, so about 30 years or so prior, in 1958, 
We're going to the Herman house. On one evening in early February, James Herman gets a call from his wife, Lucille. Now, she tells him that herself and their teenage children have heard popping sounds coming from various places around the house. So when they look into it, they found uncapped bottles of various substances upended in many rooms, including a bottle of holy water, which was spilled all over a dresser in a bedroom. Okay, that's a little weird. Yeah, uh, the holy water was particularly weird to me because I could get if it was like bubbly substances or fizzy substances. Sure. That may be, you know, carbonation, air, whatever, you know. Screwed it too tight, popped open. That's fair. But holy water? Water in general? Yeah. Yeah, that's a little fishy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he was very skeptical. He told them to keep calm and shut up, basically. As he assumed that it was just some teenagers who'd somehow got inside their house and were attempting to scare them with a prank. He really wanted to seem like they had everything under control. You know, it was a suburban neighborhood. They didn't That's fair. They didn't want to be the pariahs. Sure. About five days later, same thing happens again. Popping oh. noises throughout the house, everyone hearing them, bottles uncapped and spilled in several rooms. Okay, that's weird. More than weird that it happened again. Yeah. Well, it happened again the very next day. Now, okay. Now, this time, James, the father, sees the bottles move around his bathroom and describes them as being dragged by an unseen hand. Not creepy. No. Not at all. But just enough that he finally decides to call the police. What are they going to do about it? <laughs> Hello, please. I'm seeing bottles moving on their own in my bathroom. Please come and investigate. Jenna, it's the 50. The Ghostbusters aren't around yet. Oh, true. (laughs) So who are you going to call? The police. The police. Okay. So when the police showed up, interestingly enough, more bottles started popping throughout the house. So, um, yeah. So unlike a lot of paranormal things where it stops when they try to show someone, it showed up even more. Wow. Now, the police are like, oh, we got to get some tests going. Something is odd about this. So they run several tests. You know, they're checking electromagnetic frequencies. They're checking mm-hmm. magnetic fields. They're checking, uh, I think they checked, like, the warmth of the bottles and they weren't weren't even warm or okay, anything. that's like, weird. Like, they went to the wall trying to find a logical explanation and eventually just threw up their hands and said, we can't find one. Alrighty then. About halfway through February, they decide to have a priest come and bless the house. At this point, word starts getting out to the press. So after the priest blessed the house, basically okay. word of mouth spreads. They had a priest there. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's town. Know how that works. So they ended up having, uh, in Life Magazine, an article was written about the events. Mm-hmm. And based on the article, several letters were sent to the Hermans either offering logical explanations to the goings-on or claiming poltergeist. Oh. Now, the house was brand new, unlike most haunted homes, and they were the first owners, so it's not like there was really any previous dead energy or any energy to contend with in this house. Okay. Now, this piqued the interest of a Dr. J.B. Rhine, who was the director of Duke University's Parapsychology Laboratory. He's got some knowledge. Yep. He approached the family saying that he thought maybe it was the teens because typically teens 
are involved when there's hauntings in houses. And he wanted to study it. So they said, sure. Um, he brought in some colleagues. So they go through a long while of studying the house, interviewing the family, and recording occurrences. I, it's never really particular about whether it was photographed. I doubt it was videoed. I would assume most likely noted down. Wow. Shortly after these people start looking into it, though, the occurrences stop. So they're going on while these people are here. Oh. And then during the time that the scientists are there, it just cuts okay. off. So all in all, there were about 70 documented reports of the activity from anywhere between early February when he first called the police to March. Okay. So, I mean, it was only like a two-month ordeal at the most. They lived there pretty peacefully, but eventually they moved away, you know. Life goes on, you leave okay. the house. Right. So this inspired the movie because it was very unique in the sense of a family in a suburban neighborhood with no prior owners getting haunted. Now, obviously, the movie, you know, <laughs> traumatizes it a bit. They're on an ancient burial ground and all this other jazz. And right, right. So, so, I mean, movie did what the movie does. The movie was actually a collaborative effort between uh, Tobe Hooper and Steven Spielberg. I love Steven Spielberg. Who doesn't love Steven Spielberg? Right. It was actually such a successful movie that it got two sequels, a TV show, and a 2015 remake. Don't don't watch the remake. Hashtag I haven't. I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, and you know what? I may be jaded. I have a thing. I against anything but the original i don't even like the sequels as much as i like the original and uh, this is back in the time when the, the sequels really weren't as good as the original uh, you should just did you see the disney sequels that came out in those days oh okay <laughs> yep herbie goes bananas oh god <laughs> so uh it was actually listed by Rolling Stone magazine as being one of the top 10 horror movies along with The Shining, The Exorcist, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Nice. Yeah. Good list. Good list. These are some of the few movies that actually have given me chills watching. So I think that's a... Yes. Yeah. And confirm. Filming, though, was full of confusion, creepy accidents, and eerie coincidences almost on the day-to-day. -day. All of this gave way to it becoming a huge conspiracy. Okay. So here are a few of the weird occurrences that happened on set. The actress for Carol Ann, the youngest daughter in the movie, she was five years old, um, Heather O'Rourke. I think it's O'Rourke. O'Rourke. That's, yeah. O'Rourke um, was found when Spielberg saw her eating lunch with her mom. Now he'd been casting for this role for quite a while and no one was quite fitting. He really wanted this to be like what any mother would want their daughter to be like the ideal little girl. Oh gosh. Yeah. So uh, I think the word used was beautific perfection or, oh, or something okay. like that. And so nothing's fitting. He goes out to lunch and sees her sitting with her mom. And he goes up and he's basically like, who's her manager? <laughs> and coincidentally enough, the manager for this child is sitting right there at the lunch. Oh, wow. So he happens to go to the same restaurant, happens to have the manager there at the time. She looks just the right part. Boom. She's, deal. Yeah. She was cast the next day for the role. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, that really just creeped me out. Um, we have a cat in another room. 
and the door handle is shaking and I thought it was a ghost, but I think it's just the cat. <laughs> Nope. 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 It's going to continue. Um, yeah, that didn't happen. Maybe we need more lights in here. <laughs> wow. I haven't even got to the real spooky stuff. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> We're good. Without without further ado. Um, so more more weird stuff goes on. So they end up casting Zelda Rubinstein for the role of Tangina, who plays the medium. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Now, she auditioned for this role, like, time and time and time and time and time again. Oh. But eventually what won her out for the role is the fact that she was a medium in real life. Shut the front door. Was she really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, and on top of that, after all these auditions... She actually was only on set filming for six days out of the 12 weeks filming schedule. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and she... She killed it. She killed it. Especially only doing six days. Yeah, she killed it. Absolutely. I mean, I gotta think most of that was just having to do retakes because of other actors. Probably. (laughs) During an interview, she even... The actress uh, said... That she had had incidents in her life that were quite rare, having prior knowledge about things that would occur. So even kind of psychic in a way. Oh, okay. Yeah, so a real medium playing a medium. That's interesting. Okay. I thought That's, that's awesome. I thought so too. Now, Spielberg and Cooper tried several times to get Stephen King to be working on this with them. They really wanted the king of all horror but he was off away sailing, so they ended up getting two additional writers to help write out the story. Okay. Now, Spielberg, interestingly enough, was also working full-time on E.T. at the time. So he was filming these simultaneously. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. But what's more unheard of is that he was just a producer on Poltergeist, but he was there every day. Every day he was on set, which is unheard of. For a producer. He was really invested in it, you could tell. Yeah, he was, yeah. Uh, while he's busy directing E.T., he's over here every day committed to Poltergeist. Yep. His involvement was actually so much so that several people believed that he was actually the, the director and not Hooper. Oh. Yeah, it's so much so with all of the publicity and stuff that was going on about it that Spielberg actually publicly apologized for the confusion to Hooper because he felt so bad. Now, Hooper passed away in 2016, but insisted to the day of his death that he was the director. But conspiracies grew that Hooper was a front man so that Spielberg could direct two movies at once. Oh, okay. Yeah, because screen, screen actor laws and other things... Yeah. So that's where okay. that's where the conspiracy aspect of this really comes in is that okay. Spielberg was trying to cut corners and really be mm. in charge of two movies at once. He consistently has given credit to uh Hooper and been really consistent on that. Like I I think it's actually really admirable that for such a good movie he's like not me, not my credit, someone else. Gotcha. Um and a lot of the cast agrees that it was kind of back and forth between who was doing it, but that Hooper was the director. So it's really interesting that the rest of Hollywood was like, no, no, no. It was Spielberg. Gotcha. 
Interestingly enough, though, Spielberg, as he was helping write this, claims that some of the creepiest moments that were on screen came from his own nightmares. From his own nightmares? From his own nightmares. Okay, that's nuts. Yeah, one such scene is with a certain little clown doll. Oh, the clown doll. I knew it. Listen, I don't, I'm not even really scared of clowns, but they did a really good job of making this one creepy. So I have a personal story about that. Oh. So my uncle, when I was probably about uh, 12 or 13, um, remarried and she lived in this beautiful older home and we went over to visit them and she said oh there's a playroom at the top of the stairs just go ahead and go up the top of the stairs there's a playroom and you guys can hang out in there and we're like oh cool she has a playroom so we all go trucking up the stairs and we swing the door open i should you not the clown from poltergeist was sitting in a rocking chair and there was nothing else in this room and we're looking around like what kind of joke is this 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 is is not a playroom playroom and it was literally the same like the spindly long arms the legs did you know that that doll was chosen because it was popular at the time oh gosh like Mm. yeah well she had it sitting in a rocking chair in her quote-unquote playroom and we all Stood there for a few minutes, and then we all went back downstairs and said, can we play outside? Yeah. I'd be like, can I play anywhere Anywhere else? Anywhere else. Oh. 100%. I finally just took a sip of that tea, and it's got some, like, fruity flavors to it. I'm getting a little bit of, like, apricot or something. Well, it's the black currant. I love it. Yeah, it's a good one. It's good. It's good. Okay, so one of the one of the scenes that's from Spielberg's Nightmares is the scene where um, the boy in the movie is pulled under his bed by the creepy clown, clown doll, right? Ugh. Now, what's most horrifying about this scene is that the actor was actually strangled during the scene. What? Yeah. Accidentally, he got cut up because of the rigging they were using or whatever. No. And began to choke and actually strangle, but no one noticed until his face started turning purple. Oh, my god! It took Spielberg being like, oh, this isn't an act, and jumping up and, like, tearing the stuff off of him, but he was actually strangled on set. Oh, my gosh. By this creepy clown doll. No. No, thank you. (sighs) He credits him to saving his life, and he's like, I don't know what I would have done if Spielberg hadn't been there that day. So it it was very intensive on set. They all of the actors were told to get into the headspace of fear, think of whatever really truly scared them and actively be fearful. And in fact, the fear started spreading so rapidly on set and like became so real to the kids and the actors that one of the actresses said that every day she left before set she would stri- have to straighten her photos at home, and every day when she got back, they were crooked. And she she was, like, blaming the fear of st- and stuff going on on set. Yeah, really weird, right? Yeah. But most horrifying of all of the things that I have found on here is the fact that to cut costs, instead of props, real skeletons were used for filming. Now, supposedly, quote-unquote, it wasn't uncommon in the day. 
but real skeletons in that scene with the swimming pool and the dead bodies. That's not okay. That's a real dead body. Like, that's not okay. No! How is that, like, how is that even possible? Like, why would somebody be like, go ahead, use this dead body for your movie? No. I don't, don't, I have no idea what the ethics are behind it, but honestly, just on the level of, like, hauntings and stuff, that's how you get a haunting. That's when shit starts. Yeah, you messed with dead bodies. I don't care if you didn't desecrate a gave, you messed with dead bodies. Okay. (sighs) Yep. Yeah. This is where the curse comes in. Okay. So they say that because of the dead bodies being used, that a curse came upon the cast members who were involved. Unfortunately, the curse took Heather O'Rourke. After being misdiagnosed too many times, she died at the young age of 12 due to illness. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She was just tiny. She was a baby. Yeah. The actress Dominique Dune, who played the eldest sister, died several months after the filming of the first movie. She had been uh, murdered. She was choked to death. Oh my gosh. By an ex-boyfriend. What the hell? Another couple of mur- uh, another couple of deaths were Julian Beck and Will Sampson, both who were in sequel movies, and both died shortly after filming. That's insane. As well as in 2009, Lou Perry, uh, Lou Perryman, sorry, was murdered via axe by his ex-wife. Oh. And on top of all of this, at some point, Will Sampson, when he was working on the set of one of the sequels, performed a real exorcism. Wow. On set. A real exorcism. Oh, wow. Which just, again. Goes to show. Absolutely. Yeah. So going over the whole of it. Basically, the conspiracy is Spielberg was using a pseudo so that he could direct a secondary movie straight out of his nightmares, literally straight out of his nightmares, using a previous poltergeist as inspiration, which is fucked up. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) And then on top of that, using real dead bodies. Not okay. I know they were like skeletons, but. So not okay. It's someone's bones. Right. I. I get that's like that's why desecrating a grave is a thing. Yeah. That's why desecration of a corpse is a thing. Yeah. It's not to mention the bad juju that happens with all of that. And the, it's just a thing. Don't and, do it. And the fact that a lot of the significant cast members died later or nearly died, because there were a lot of near deaths that I just didn't want to go into. So what would you say if I told you that's maybe a common thing on cursed? film sets you know what i would not be surprised i I would not what film set because this is a common this sounds like it's starting to become a common denominator here because now we're going to talk about the film set of the exorcist oh god another one based on a real story exactly oh man okay so wait wait I had to buckle in. All right. Amanda, you buckled in? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Okay. I can handle this, I think. <laughs> All righty, here we go. So The Exorcist was based on the 1971 book, and it spent 57 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. So that's why they wanted to obviously make a movie. Yeah. The movie was shot in just nine weeks. Nine? Nine weeks. That's unheard of. But had several delays 
during that time. So it actually took longer than expected, but just the weeks of filming, it was nine weeks. And it was released in 1973, so ten years before Poltergeist. Okay. So the movie itself received ten Academy Award nominations and won 15 other film awards internationally. Wow. Right? That's a lot. That is a lot. I mean, it was very well done. I just didn't know it was that. Right? It's it's a lot. And I have some more other fun facts kind of mingled in with my notes today. So immediately on its release, audience members suffered fainting, vomiting, heart attacks, miscarriages, and emotional damage due to cinematic neurosis. What? Yes. People actually started suing Warner Brothers for their pain and suffering of seeing this movie. What? It is rumored that one guy actually passed out during the movie and in falling broke his jaw. Right? That's that's weird. Oh my god. Yeah, that's weird. That don't happen. Also, I feel really bad for the movie theater people. Right. <laughs> All the throw they up. They actually started passing out barf bags at some of the theaters because it was happening so much. I know. Can you imagine? No. Welcome to the movies tonight. Here's your barf bag. Here's your barf bag. No, thank you. No, thank you. Okay. So I just want to mention a few people in the cast because um, they they had they have significance and just to familiarize people with them. Okay. So Reagan was the girl that was possessed and okay. her name was Linda Blair, played mm-hmm. by Linda Blair. Okay. Chris was the mom and she was played by Ellen Bernstein. Okay. Uh, Father Damien was played by Jason Miller. Father Lancaster Marin was played by Max Foncito. Now, can you refresh me? Which of those is the elder of the two priests? So, interestingly enough, Max Foncito was only 44 when he was in this movie. They put four hours of makeup on him to make him look old. Oh, Yes. I would never have known that was makeup. And people were reluctant to cast him in other movies after this because they thought he was so old. Yeah, I did. I did too. Wow, well done. Exactly, well done. So Burke Dennings was played by Jack McGowan, and Father Caracas' mother was Vasiliski Malarus. Apologize for the pronunciation. But interestingly enough, she was also found by the director eating in a cafe as he walked by. He was like, she'd be perfect for the mother in this. And so she was literally cast just by him walking by her. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So the writer and the producer and the director went to great lengths to capture the realism of a true historical exorcism that many people suspect something ominous and evil was attracted to the movie set. Wow. So... Several things happened on the movie set, but the number one craziest thing. um, So they filmed on location or they filmed on a set in New York and then they filmed on location in Washington, D.C. And Washington, D.C. was where the house was. Oh, right, right, right. That the little girl lived in. So that house actually burned to the ground, was so damaged by fire that unrecognizable, but... The bedroom used for Reagan was untouched. What? Yeah. Oh. 
So no. everything else was damaged. Except for that one room. Except for that one, that one room. I don't like that. So it delayed filming by six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because they didn't have a set. They right. Had, they had to build another set. So that information came from PuzzleBoxHorror.com. So the cast and crew reported seeing things moving all the time. All the time? Things, props, levitating and flying off the shelves. What? There was a phone on the set that several people actually saw the receiver lift up off the (gasps) phone and then drop to the floor. Okay, real quick for everyone in my generation or younger... A receiver is the phone-looking part, and then there's the phone where it pushes down and rests on top. Yes. So, so... So you literally... It can't just fall off. No, it rests on top. Yes. So they literally saw it lift off and then fall to the floor. Oh, my god! Several different occasions. No. Yep. No. Yep, yep, yep. There were... Cast and crew also had injuries from these moving objects... And from tripping on what they thought was bad wiring or gaffing. Gaffing. So gaffing is, um, um, so you run all the electrical needed for the set and you do, it's almost like um, it's a crew position, but the word gaffer comes from the tape they use and it's called gaff tape. Oh, so it's when they tape down all the stuff around the stage. tape down all the cords and everything and you have to do that because that's a safety issue. Okay, but Um, people were tripping anyway. But people were tripping anyway. So um, some thought it was due to dim lighting. The set was just creepy in and of itself. Right. And it was low budget. So for the time, it only had a budget of $5 million. That seems like a lot. Yeah. But for the time, it was really low budget. Well, and honestly, even compared to today's movies, that's extremely low budget. They ended up going over budget by double. So it ended up costing $10 million to make The Exorcist. Oh, yeah, their set burned down. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So there were other whispers about other causes. A carpenter working on the set in New York accidentally cut off his thumb, a lighting technician lost his toe oh right so there's a scene in the movie where reagan the the little girl is kind of for lack of a better term stabbing herself or mutilating herself oh yeah and the mom tries to come in the room and stop her and then the demon shoves her across the room yeah so they used rigging to pull her across the room to make it look like she was flying backwards her scream in the movie is so blood curdling and sounds incredibly painful because it was authentic. The oh. mechanics to pull her back was rigged to full force. Oh no. So she landed on her tailbone and actually suffered enough of an injury that she was using crutches on the set for weeks afterwards because she was in so much pain. So they're, they don't know if it was an accident or if the director actually wanted authenticity and told him to pull her harder. Yes. That's messed up. Yes, it is messed up. It is messed up. So Jason Miller, who, who was Father Caracas, or Karis, was the priest who initially saw her in the film and then tried to arrange for the exorcism. So in the one scene where she vomited 
pea green soup. And they literally did use pea green soup or green pea soup. Split <laughs> sp- split pea soup? Yeah, it was yeah. pea soup. So during the, the practice and um, the takes before the original take, the vomit machine actually would hit him in the chest. So the vomit would hit him in the chest. When they finally decided to take it, take the official take, somehow it had been manipulated and the vomit hit him full force in the face. Oh. So his reaction was 100% real because he got it in his mouth. Yeah. It was bad. I'm sorry. Just thinking about that scene makes me want to gag a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that happened to him. But this also happened. And this is from TVOverMind.com. He was stopped on the street by an actual priest who had no knowledge that Jason was working on this film. Okay. Priest handed him a religious medallion and said, reveal the devil for a trickster that he is. He will seek retribution against you, or he will even try to stop what you are trying to do to unmask him. What? Yes. Ew. His priest had no knowledge of what the movie or anything. Working on a movie that he was working on, The Exorcist. Oh, right. Yeah, I would have quit. (laughs) Yeah. So he actually started carrying the medallion with him on the set. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. It was the first horror picture nominated for best picture with the Academy Awards. Really? Yes. Wow. And Linda Blair was actually nominated for Best Actress. Good. But she didn't win, and the movie didn't win either. It won for Best Writing and Best Sound. Huh. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Especially given the reaction from the yes. public. Yes. Because if if I'm looking at what... Now, granted, I believe there's this whole thing about the Academy Awards being rigged and blah, 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 blah. But right. if the... Re- if if the public gives that kind of reaction to the movie. Yes. You got people throwing up in theaters. You can't say that's not. Right. <laughs> so one of the reasons why I think it won for best sound is because uh, the lady who portrayed the demon. The right. The voice of the demon. They actually, this was so low budget that she actually, that was all her own voice. Oh, so there was no extra sound effects added to it. No. So she was actually an alcoholic that was um, in recovery, like was in recovery. Okay. She decided to start drinking again so she could make her voice rougher and would um, smoke cigarettes and do other things to actually distort her voice enough to make it what it was in the film oh my so she just demolished her vocal cords for the role yeah all in wow and then the director pulls a dick move and didn't give her credit as the voice of the demon in the film who did he credit nobody he He just he just didn't credit he just didn't credit her so she actually had to sue him and sue the um warner brothers and she she won. Good. But she literally had to sue them to get her name. Why wouldn't they credit her? Crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. Voice of the demon. Hello, it wasn't Linda Blair. Yeah. Give the yeah. lady some credit. She went through a lot you, of shit you, to do that. You gotta credit someone. Right, right. So, director, dick move. That's probably dick move number three in this film because 
there's a lot of speculation that he did things purposefully to get real reactions to get genuine reactions that he and he even admitted later on that he did some things that you could never do on a set today yeah so one of the things is is this set was actually refrigerated so that you could see the actor's breath oh so that was 100 percent real too because they had air condition they had they had such strong air conditioning on the set that they came to the set one day and there was snow in the room because the air conditioning had condensed so much and it snowed in the bedroom. Yeah. It freaked people out because they were like, okay, yeah, it's supposed to be cold, but not this cold. How did it snow? Yeah. You have to have moisture. So, um, one of the other things is, is that, so, um, Linda Blair had to do a dummy so that they could, make the scenes where her head spins around. Yeah. She said she did not like to be by her dummy. And it always was in the makeup room. And so she'd have to go in the makeup room and sit next to it to get her makeup done. And she hated it. She said, quote, didn't enjoy the experience of being in its presence. Oh. Right? That's a weird... Yes. Very weird way of putting things. Would would you not think? Yeah. Yeah. A presence it having a presence yep yeah yep oh so we're gonna we're gonna backtrack just a little bit okay okay take me back so the the novel the exorcist was um by william peter Blatt, blatty and it was a true tale of de- demonic possession in st louis missouri from 1949 and it was a boy who got possessed and who was who received the exorcism and he was 13 years old So they changed that and they actually said in the book, they changed his name to Roland Doe to protect his identity. Okay. However, Father Marin's character was closely based on William Bodern, who actually helped with the real exorcism. So that was was actually very accurate, they said. Wow. So the um, possession started for this young boy. He began hearing scratching noises in the basement after his aunt died. So in the movie, they hear noises and scratching up in the attic. But in the book, it was he was hearing him. The little boy was hearing him in the basement. His family claimed that his mattress moved violently during the night. And objects in the house were routinely suspended in the air. No. Right? Routinely? Yes. Routinely suspended in the air. To have it so frequently that they choose that word. I know. Wordage is so important on these things. Exactly. So get this. His desk would move at school without explanation. So it wasn't just at home. He started having It took to school. school. Oh, Mm -hmm. God. Yep. Which means it's not just the family making it up because... Right. So it was after... It took some time for the family to call a local priest. Okay. But Roland Doe actually said to him in Latin, O priest of Christ, you know that I am the devil. Yep. Yep. So Roland Doe was eventually moved to a psych ward in a Catholic-run hospital. So it was so intense that he couldn't be at home. Like, it yeah. was just so intense. That's too much for the family. Right. Right. It was there at the hospital that the exorcism was thought to have been performed. 
So from what I know of the story is that they went about it in a very controlled environment. Like that's why they moved into the psych hospital because they wanted to exclude everything else. And in the movie, they do that too. Yeah. She's going to doctor after doctor after doctor. And they all say, well, it's a lesion on her brain or it's a personality disorder or it's her brain misfiring or they're trying to figure it out because they notice that she's acting weird in the movie. So I can only imagine that in real life, that was the same thing. Yeah. Eventually, after the exorcism, this Roland Doe went on to become a devout Catholic and got married and had three children. So he ended up recovering, I guess, from his possession. And that's from thethings.com. So it wasn't until I kind of wanted to say all that before, and I found it Again, interesting that this is another common thread is in the poltergeist, they had somebody come in and bless the set, right? The director of The Exorcist, Friedkin, actually asked a Reverend Thomas Birmingham to come and perform an exorcism on the set. He initially declined, and he was a Jesuit priest. He initially declined. But then after talking with the cast and crew, he agreed to do a blessing on the set. This was after the fire and after, obviously, that the cast had reported things moving on the set. The weird shit stopped after the, after no. the reverend. Yep, after the reverend blessed oh. the set. So there was a lot of the cast who actually thought, you know what, You're kind of, we're kind of playing with fire here. We're playing with fire. We need so, someone yeah, to come in. So we need somebody to come in. And there were two different theories about why the why the set burned down. One of them is that a bird flew into a, a power box and started the fire. And okay. then the other one is an electrical short. But, well, to be fair, if the bird flies into a power box and creates a, you know. But it wasn't just some lonely house. Weren't there others near it? Oh, yeah. Totally. So was, totally. was it the only one to burn? And why... And it was in the middle of the night. Like, it was like 2.30 right. in the morning. O- only one to burn, and the yeah. room stayed the, untouched. Yeah. And that was on several sources that said that. Several sources that said that it was untouched. So, I actually saw in several sites, they, not quote, but they state that there were nine deaths associated with this movie. <sighs> However, none of them fully listed all nine deaths. So I'm like, okay, peeps, you're not helping me out here. You gotta, if you're gonna say that, back it up. Yeah. So I actually had to go to several different sources and several different websites, but I could only find eight. But I found eight. Okay, eight of the nine, that's not bad. Yeah, here we go. So Jack McGarren, who played Burke, died from influenza a month before the movie was even released. Okay. And he was actually. His character was the first one that the demon killed in the movie where the little girl broke his, or well, not the little girl, the demon broke his neck and then threw him out a window. Yep. Okay. So he actually died a month before the movie was released. Hmm. A security guard who worked on the film died. An assistant cameraman's baby was stillborn. That's sad. That's very sad. Linda Blair's grandfather actually died during filming. So that's what I I don't know what from, but 
obviously she was younger, so I don't know if it was age or what it was, but he died during the during the filming. Max von Sydow's brother died unexpectedly in Sweden as he was landing in New York to start filming. Um, that one's kind of a stretch, I think, but still, that's a that's a little heavy. Yeah, that's a little heavy. The man. So that now we're at number six. The man who did the refrigeration for the set made it all cold. <laughs> died shortly after filming. Um, number seven, the janitor who t- took care of the building was shot and killed. And oh I don't God. know if that was before or, after. before or after the film was released. I don't know that. And then the number eight that I have was Vasiliki Malarus, who played the mother of the priest, died before the film was released as well. They say that one was natural causes, but, but I mean, I don't know. You can go into oh it was this or it was that, but it's it's yeah. odd that on these on these movies that are particularly scary. I mean, they're in the top ten of scary movies. Oh, for sure, for sure, one hundred percent. Both based on real stories. And and I honestly I think after I think your observation of it being a cursed set versus haunted. Yeah. I think maybe that's a better term. Yeah, because it, there was a curse. It doesn't necessarily feel like a ghost, but it definitely feels like they bad they, juju. Bad juju. Something was going on. Yeah. I mean I mean for cast members, you know, oh, and so when they re-released Exorcist years and years later, when it was first released, it didn't have the scene where she was walking down the stairs backwards <laughs> on her hands and feet, upside down. They didn't put it in the film because it had, you could see the wires because they had to use wires to do it. Mm-hmm. But on re-released years and years later, they could actually use the CGI to remove the wires. And that's why the scene was actually put back into the movie. That was one of the creepiest scenes to me in the, in the movie. I mean, the whole thing was creepy. Yeah. And, and to be honest, peeps, I actually went back and watched the movie just be, just while I was doing my research because I'm like, all right, it's a hot minute. Let's see. And I will tell you, it did not give me the feel goods. Like, I did not like that movie. It was creepy. And there was, I think it was Billy Cram, the um, conservative, you know, obviously church leader, actually came out and said that there is evil embedded in the film itself. So he actually warned people not to watch the film because he thought just that it had an evil attached to it somehow. I I don't know, but I kind of I kind of agree with that after watching again watching it again. It was it was not a it was <sighs> not a comfy feel good. And and to be fair, that movie's like over fifty years old now. Yeah, I th- the weird thing is it's, is how is how they're so old and they can still scare people so well. Oh yeah, not yeah, totally like not a whole lot of remastering that I know of. Not. Like, all practical effects, yeah. like, and they're so ingrained in us. They're you know. still scary. And and I think, um, obviously, not only was it a groundbreaking film for its time, I think because, again, well, here's another similarity, based on a true story. So Poltergeist had some basis in real life, whether it was Spielberg's dreams or... You know the the haunt the house haunting 
that you know triggered the making of the film but this film was based on an actual exorcism and i thought it was really interesting in the film how initially when they were like she needs an exorcism and and the character in the film says we don't do those anymore like one of the high ups in the church was like we don't do that anymore yeah we don't and and i was thinking about it and i'm like obviously most exorcisms are are pretty hush hush yeah but i have a strong suspicion that they do happen yeah i know that they've upped their regulations because for a long time with uh exorcisms and i believe it even still happens today there's an unfortunate thing where in super religious sex especially sex of the world where they don't have a lot of information if someone has a mental illness like schizophrenia is often misdiagnosed as being a possession. And when they do these exorcisms on them without following proper procedure and everything, yes, they can literally kill the people death by exorcism. Right. Just because they, they starve or they get too hurt or they get too fearful or whatever. And so they, it's, it's a form of torture in a lot of ways. So the Catholic church has put a lot of laws down at, in, in, in their church to say, hey, we are only going to let our representatives perform exorcisms if all these exes are met because we don't want anyone who's just got a mental illness that's to, un- to undergo do. this. And I think that's I think that's really cool that we have this merging of science and um, paranormal in a way of being like, it's true. I and and you get that in the exorcism too where they talk about, you know, it's all me- you know, they actually were saying well it's mental illness or um um you know, they want to make sure that it's all of those things are ruled out. Yeah. And so I um I don't know if you have anything else on it. Um I just wanted to pull up really quick cuz I thought it was kind of interesting. Um I know that the Catholic Church there are literally three things that you have to qualify to get an exorcism and i know i think it's uh three things that have to be to prove you're possessed is what it is yes and i know i was just seeing that if i could look them up but i know one of them is the person speaks in a language unknown to them the other one that i know is that the person that is possessed has intimate knowledge of things they couldn't possibly know yes yeah other people so like things about the priest you know things mm-hmm. so i think in um the exorcism they did actually a really good job of portraying that because she speaks in another language and she knew things about the priests that she shouldn't have known but i can't remember i'm almost positive there's like one other qualifier that if you meet those three things you're almost undoubtedly possessed i'm i'm trying to look hang on now i'm really into this now i'm like we're going i'm, I'm committed <laughs> well, we could have another steeped in mystery where we talk all about just possession. about possession you know what that's what we should do we should we should put that on we the should okay okay so would you have tea on a cursed film set oof you know what i'm i'm actually i could split it and say yes for poltergeist and no for exorcist, but I think I'm going to have to say no for both. And this is why, because I totally believe that bad juju. If you encounter that bad juju that I feel like 
once you've interacted with it, it could potentially follow you home. Yeah. And I'm not taking that crazy crap home. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you for one, for one reason. So okay. I have an uncle who works on countless horror TV shows and movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he's never once had anything happen oh, to my okay. knowledge. So okay. I'm like, if he can do it every day, I can go for a cup of tea. And oh, okay, fair enough. So, so it's just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, it'd probably be okay. <laughs> I, I'm still going to have to say no. I don't want that bad juju on me. Yeah. Okay. Well, All right. Well, so don't forget to uh, like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and hopefully soon to be TikTok. And if you want to contact us, let us know any information that you have about the episode or questions. Info at steepedmystery.com is where you can reach us. And um, shoot, I had a disclaimer that I was just going to say and it just flew out of my head. (laughs) Disclaimer? Yeah. Disclaimer. If anybody starts barfing after listening to this episode, we are not responsible. We do not supply barf bags. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, and if you have updates that you want to hear us talk about on the show, please. Yes. Please. Topics, other things. And um, just a little teaser. Our Halloween episode is going to be a creature double feature. Yeah, we're going double long with our episode and we're going to hit two awesome creepy cryptids. So hopefully y'all are still listening in and and can join us for that one. All right, folks, that's it for this one. Uh, We'll talk to you all next week.